0: mic check one two one two
1: what's up apple top
0: hey hey girl (laughs) i have a cough drop in my mouth again just so you know (laughs) i really needed it my mouth was so my my throat is so sore i've been coughing a lot and i think it's because of these stupid allergies
1: don't say that around anybody else
0: (laughs) I know my daughter's like you got that rona you got that rona I'm like if I got that rona you got that rona <laughs> right? so don't go around saying that
1: right you know what I was um I was in target the other day uh picking up a few things and um a lady was talking to her kid and she said um you know I'm coughing because I got a uh, she's like I'm um asthmatic people out here probably think i got coronavirus i mean she was saying it so loud and i was like you know what i i appreciate you
0: you're right here i am me too asthmatic coughing allergies like this is not good and 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 it's also confusing for the person who's coughing because you're like is it that rona you know what i mean you don't you don't really know like uh, i don't i haven't had a fever or anything like that so i'm good
1: And there's just so much bad in the news. Like, I don't know um, what they're saying over there. But like here in Virginia, we have confirmed, what is it, 114 cases, I think. And then they have listed one person has unfortunately passed away in Virginia. And then one person has recovered. So you're telling me out of 112 other cases, nobody's recovered? it's just they're just not reporting on anything positive you know they're not reporting on all these people that have had this thing and have have gotten better and have made it through it all you want to report on is everything terrible and we need a little bit of good
0: (laughs) yeah people are freaking out like i mean freaking out like i can't even explain to you the thing that my friends have called me and told me and cried and I'm like, I don't I I don't I don't know. I'm not there. I I don't know what that what that says about me, but I get I I realize it's going on. I'm well aware, but it just feels like a dream. It feels like it's not real. And so I haven't hit that um peak of panic where they have gotten to. A little teeny bit it got me one day, but I just made an Amazon fresh order and then once it got here, I was good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i did it just has it hit you like where you're like you know what? the only thing I, I keep
1: saying to people the only thing that's hitting me is the way that everybody else is reacting like um you know i i understand okay right. i can't go to the mall i understand that i can't you know the only places that i should be going are to pick up a prescription or to pick up food like if i have to and i shouldn't be going anywhere else and to get gas if you have to get gas obviously people that have to work have to go to work but i don't have to go out to go to work so um but like you know i i told you like i live with my father and and he's not really taking it i mean he listens to the news and watches this stuff go on all day i try to avoid as much as possible and he's just like oh hey i need this or oh hey i need that and i'm like well let me go out cuz if somebody's going to catch this thing <laughs> it can't be you <laughs> And, and I know that the likelihood that he would catch it if I did is very high, but there is a possibility that, you know, I, if I kept myself clean enough, didn't touch my face and kept disinfecting everything, there is a small possibility that he wouldn't get it, but it's so minimal. And it just, that's what's scaring me is just the way that, you know, every time I do have to go to the grocery store. I, I try to get the few things that I need and it's like uh, every time I glance over at the toilet paper aisle or the paper towel aisle or the meat aisle, even though I don't eat meat, people in my family do and all of that stuff is barren and that right. scares me.
0: Yeah, that that's a sight and not only to see it like just happen one time like as if it were uh, Black mm-hmm. Friday and everything is gone and then the next day, things back it's like bear and it's fucking staying bear that's like
1: you know what i shit you know so
0: i just wanted to ask how many cases we've had here uh as of today we have 485 in georgia and 14 deaths
1: and and no recovered right they're not reporting on that
0: yeah i I have no idea (laughs) what that is (laughs) still alive and the ones you died Um, i
1: I, uh i found you know what i'm gonna i think i'm probably gonna link it in this uh podcast just for people to see um i was on uh you know searching as everybody else is to try to find you know paper goods online even if they're weeks out like i don't mind if i have to order them and they won't come in for three weeks you know that's when i'm gonna need them so that's fine um and people on ebay are selling toilet paper by the square Yep. get the
0: fuck out yep, of here. absolutely
1: for real. <laughs> it's not like it's going to look like a fake meme, but I found it today. It is are real listings. There's more than one, and I took a screenshot of it, and uh, I will be happy to post that picture in the link. How much are they selling it for? Oh, no, it's a bid, it a bid and it's like a, at a dollar, like a, it starts get at a dollar 60 square. We'll sell you six squares. Yeah.
0: I'm going to find that video that some dad did who like uh, he he broke it down in math, and, and um, I can't remember how many. Let's say he was working with 24 rolls of toilet paper, and so he he broke it down in a math equation, telling you how many shits you had to take in order to use this 24 rolls you of know toilet what that,
1: paper. That is all over the internet right now. Is uh, how long your toilet paper is going to last you? Yeah,
0: I got 45, <laughs> so. I mean, I think we're good <laughs> over here. <laughs> like I think about 3 weeks before this mass uh hysteria happened, I um I buy bulk anyway, and so I had we had already bought our bulk toilet paper and we still had some left, you know. So we didn't we haven't even I haven't I have yet to even open it still. So Well,
1: that's good. We know what we just happened to have um it worked out well. Same, same for us. We were lucky enough that I needed more toilet paper downstairs for a downstairs bathroom. And I was like, you know what? I may as well just buy the big, the big one. Like we, we don't need that many down there, but we'll use it upstairs and I'll just put it away. And I happened to just buy the big case of it. And that's the only reason we had it. And that was about two weeks ago. So.
0: I don't understand why toilet paper is the thing that everybody's cluing in on. Why toilet I, paper? I don't know.
1: I guess it was just the thought of, I don't want to have to go out and get it. I mean, I don't know who started the terror on the toilet paper. I mean, I, I understand the, uh, the paper towels because you're supposed to be cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. But, um, <clears throat> but the, the whole toilet paper, I have no idea who started that and why everybody just jumped on board. That's what's so terrifying. It's like, one doomsday prepper said this is what needs to be and all the sheep are just like ah we're out there we'll get it
0: let me tell you this and and we can leave this corona alone mm-hmm. that rona like uh whoever made this toilet paper hysteria I'm so glad they didn't make a Moscato one because I still got my <laughs> bottles of water
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we've actually uh, we've actually been going to um Naldesia. Have you ever had Malvasia wine? It's just a no. specific type of grape. Um, I love Misa Moscato. I do. But
0: uh, I, I was going to say, I'm not a real wine drinker. So most of unless it's Moscato, I probably really Oh, don't yeah. No, it. neither
1: am I. Like, I'm absolutely no connoisseur whatsoever. And if it's not, I mean, insanely sweet, then I'm not going to drink it. <laughs>
0: word
1: (laughs) um so we you know the restaurant the melting pot um they have uh they used to have the one here a particular wine called annalisa malvasia and annalisa was the 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 name of the wine and then malvasia was the name of the grape and we didn't know any of this obviously we started drinking this but then they quit carrying it so we started looking for it and um they would carry like the annalisa moscato which is very good um, but I could not find the Annalisa Maldesia. I wonder if they just don't make it anymore. I can't find it anywhere. So I started trying other brands that are Malvasia grapes. And I can't remember the one that I've, I really like now, but it's, I'm not a huge fan of red wines. You know, usually I'm, I want the white wine or the rosé, but this red wine is really light and sweet and oh, it's so good. And it's just cause it's that kind of grape. Where is the that grape from? Oh, you know what? I cannot remember where that. I actually did look it up, and I can't remember where it's from because we were trying to figure out. Like, we didn't even know what Malvasia was. We were just like, "Well, we just know we like that wine. What's Malvasia? What's that mean?" Like,
0: <laughs> right? Uh, okay, I was just interested. Like, I'm wondering.
1: Let's say Italy. That, that grape. There. Yeah, it uh, came from it Italy. Says, um, mediterranean region and the island of um Maldasia wines are produced in italy
0: so. okay that good <laughs> good huh
1: okay i know i i went from spending like <laughs> 10 bucks a bottle to 20 so that's right big balling up here
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh, so it's it's good. It's really good wine. I I really like it a lot. So, um, it makes me feel like I've got my big girl wine.
0: <laughs> there was this wine, and I I cannot remember what it's called, but my mother in law stumbled upon it by going to a Georgia winery one time, and she knew that I liked wine, and so she bought me a whole flipping case this wine was some of the best wine i had it was sweet and it was just the best wine i i mean man and they only did certain wines for a limited mm-hmm. time you know so it wasn't like either you got it when you got it or you just oh, i want like a dollar <laughs> store <laughs> you better get it when you see it it's not promised to be here <laughs> when you get back <laughs> oh that was some good wine though man See, that makes
1: me sad like I don't ever want to get attached to a wine that I know is going to go away
0: <laughs> right it seems like everything I get attached to goes away no shit like if I find a hair product or a certain makeup or you know lipstick or lip gloss and next thing you know I mean I can't say next thing you know like oh you know the next time I went to the store it was gone but I say, next thing you know, like because I'll stick to the same damn thing for ten years, <laughs> and then I wonder a decade later, why are you bothering things? Just leave it alone, <laughs> you know. But you know, uh, in a real world, they do have to remarket and change things, and you know that's the way that the world works. But I, uh, there, don't there like are that. some
1: products that I miss so much. There was the stuff. Um, any any uh, buddy that's dyed their hair blonde and has used this stuff called Born Blonde by Clarol. It was like the best stuff. I mean, your hair could come out, like, people may not know when you bleach your hair, a lot of the times it turns yellow, green, orange. Like, it's not that beautiful blonde that you see. You have to tone that stuff. Yeah. Really? <laughs> and, yep, my oh, hair has um, some natural red tones to it. So it will come out a little orangey sometimes. And, um, this stuff was magic and it didn't damage your hair. I mean, it, you know, you had already damaged it from bleaching it. So you didn't want to put something else on it to damage it even more, which is what a lot of toners out there do. And this stuff, it smelled good. It didn't cause any irritation. You put it on for five minutes and it would be the most beautiful, perfect. Like it would just offset that color perfectly. And I actually bought some on eBay like a year ago because it's been discontinued for years. <laughs> like it it. <kinda> <laughs>
0: why is the conditioners in inside of a dye package so much better than the regular damn conditioners they're all thick and creamy and why don't they why don't they make a whole bottle of dye (laughs) conditioner like
1: well because you're not supposed to need that kind of conditioning treatment for everyday use
0: well us black folks need it okay and, and i think it's fantastic but i don't understand why they just put it in the dye box and don't make all damn bottles. Uh, us it. people
1: that like to fry the shit out of our <coughs> hair also need it all the
0: time <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> us white girls that stuff. like to say that our uh, our hair color is better blonde which is like 10 shades lighter than our natural color we need that shit all day too
0: <laughs> right right
1: so you I got do have a story today? to tell today. I have, um, you know, we were gonna we we like to do our our stories back and forth, but because I came up with such a long twisted tale, uh, we decided we're just gonna do this one story this time. And um, <clears throat> I was, uh, yeah, and yeah.
0: I, <laughs> yeah, I don't really. I was like, Stacy, I don't really. Uh, I'm not in <laughs> research mode, so. <laughs> i'm gonna let you have the mic and she's like well great because this story's long
1: (laughs) i know i know i was about to come at you and say (laughs) like you know what i don't think i need a second story because otherwise i'm going to be talking the whole time (laughs) you're like that's all right go ahead yeah right (laughs) Uh, so all right um and I, uh, if it takes me a second to flip between, I um, I was telling you that I had a, uh, I'd written this down in my little, my little uh, podcast journal. I was writing notes as I was listening to. Um, I, I found a couple of links online where people uh, had given some information about this, but honestly, where I got most of my information was from Crime Junkies podcast. They did an amazingly good podcast on this, and I listened to their podcast and took notes. Uh, so. I have to give some thanks to them for that. But as I was listening, I think I'd only gotten uh, between the article I had up and listening to them. I think I'd only gotten about six minutes in and I had five pages written <clears throat> in this. Uh, and it had taken me so long because I had to keep pausing their podcast and writing notes. And then going back to the the thing I had up online and being like, okay, wait, let me, let me cross reference this and make sure that this link doesn't have newer information than what they were talking about. <laughs> And so I had a, a note at the right, end of my right. five pages that says, uh, see computer notes, writing this shit out by hand is ridiculous. So... <laughs> <laughs> and then went on to still um, type up seven pages of notes on my computer. So this is such a long story. Mm-hmm. Plus the five? Mm-hmm. Holy
0: it was shit. just
1: so convoluted okay, that I didn't want to forget it. anything um, that I had listed. So... Uh, This story is about Chris Coleman. Um, Chris Coleman was raised by Connie and Ron Coleman. Those were his parents. They were also co-pastors at Gray Church in Chester, Illinois. Uh, Chris joined the Marines when he was an adult. Uh, He became a dog handler. And in 1997, at a canine training seminar, he met the woman he would marry. Sherry Weiss was military police for the U.S. Air Force, and Chris and Sherry did not date for very long before they actually ended up driving to Chicago, Illinois one weekend and eloped. And later on, Chris's father in an interview would say, well, see, Sherry was pregnant and with their first child, they just they wanted to marry quickly. They were both from religious backgrounds. However, it sounds more like Chris's background was quite a bit more strict than Sherry. She was a Christian, but she was definitely not raised with two pastors uh, in a church. So, um, meanwhile, uh, after they had married, Chris actually landed a job as a bodyguard for world-famous Christian televangelist Joyce Myers. And apparently, uh, Chris's family knew Joyce Myers, a- at least in some, you know, aspect. It may not have been that <clears throat> they knew her directly, but people of people of people. So it, it kind of helped him get a foot in, and he became the bodyguard and the head of security for Joyce Myers and anybody who doesn't know who Joyce Myers is she is a televangelist uh she's right up there with all the other televangelists that you would see on a sunday she's very brash she's very outspoken she's definitely not who you would think of when you think of a pastor's wife um she did get a lot of slack for that in the beginning that she was kind of you know not in that cookie cutter that pretty put together wife that keeps her mouth shut and stands behind her man like she was about standing up for her rights and her views even though they were very strong christian views uh, she still got a lot of of hate for being a woman and and speaking her mind um so chris's job it it actually paid him extremely well like i said this was back in 1997 when he first got this job and he made more than a hundred thousand dollars a year to start with her so they were (laughs) right right they were doing very very well um now, by this point, um, let's let's skip ahead and, and they're married and they've had a, a good time so far. Nothing, nothing crazy has gone on. And we're going to jump ahead to the point where Sherry and Chris, they both have two young boys. And Garrett was the first boy. He, he was 11 and Gavin was nine. This is going to be <clears throat> in 2008. But we're jumping ahead of it. Uh, as of November of 2008. Chris began getting threatening emails like, at his work. Um, the sender's email address was actually destroychris at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Original. <laughs> I was going to say, it's very
1: inventive. <laughs> yeah. um, so, what would you say? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, Nothing. the emails, they started on Friday November 14th, as I said, 2008. And the first email was titled, Houston Death. And it says, tell Chris his family is dead. I know his schedule and they will die. Next time that motherfucker better let me talk to Joyce.
0: <laughs> now later that same
1: day, Chris continued to get more emails from this same sender, uh, Chris at gmail. And the sender seemed to feel that they were being ignored. They began copying more and more people in on the emails. And actually, one of the emails the sender sent was to every single person in the company. So it says, I'm sure this will make it to somebody in the company. If you jackasses are like any other company, this will be someone's account. Pass this on to Chris. Tell Joyce to stop preaching that bullshit or Chris's family will die. If I cannot get to Joyce, then I'll get to someone close to her. And if I can't get to him, then I will kill his wife and kids. I know Joyce's schedule, so then I know Chris's schedule. If Joyce doesn't stop preaching the bullshit, then they will die. During the Houston conference, I will kill them as they sleep. If I don't if I don't hit there, then I will kill during the book tour or the trip to India. I know where he lives. I know when they are alone. Fuck them, and they will all die soon. Tell that motherfucker... Damn! (laughs) Tell that motherfucker next time to let me talk to Joyce. She needs to hear what I have to say, and now she will. And no one replied to any of this. No one did anything to to retaliate back. So the sender sends yet another email that said, Tell Chris his family is dead. They don't deserve to live with someone that protects that SOB Joyce.
0: Damn. (laughs) Savage. So that
1: type of bullying and scare tactics, they just weren't new to Joyce Meyer's ministry. She had received threats all the time. But it was really odd how angry the sender was at her bodyguard. I mean, the sender never actually threatened Joyce, just kept threatening Chris and only Chris. And that was pretty odd. Why didn't they like her? Why did why didn't people like her?
0: Or the people she needs to stop saying her shit. You know
1: Well again, she was she was very outlandish for the times. It, even now, you don't see a lot of I mean, this was back in two thousand eight and eleven years later, twelve years later, you're not seeing a bunch of women televangelists. You you're still seeing a bunch of men. It really is more of a, a man's place. So This guy...
0: It was about gender? Well,
1: they weren't sure. I mean, that's usually what kind of the assumption is, is that because she's a woman, also because she's a Christian, there are people out there that don't want to hear that, don't want to be told what to do. I mean, you could simply change the channel, but why change the channel when you could send a hateful, threatening email?
0: (laughs) Somebody will get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, she does do a lot of tours and She does go to a bunch of cities and people just, they just get pissed. They just, I don't want you in my city. I don't want you preaching your bullshit. I don't, you know, when really you could just ignore her and let the people that do appreciate her bullshit listen to her. (laughs) Um, So January of 2009, so a few months later, the emails finally stopped. And in place of those emails, however, notes began showing up in Chris's family's mailbox. These notes were not stamped. They were not addressed. They had been placed in that mm. mailbox by someone who knew Chris's Creepy. home address. So obviously Sherry now is really scared. This is not something that she's okay with. I mean, she's got two young boys at home. She stays at home. She does not uh she does not work outside of the household. I mean she'll help with some of the the stuff with Joyce Myers. She helps with some of that when Chris needs it, but she doesn't Uh, work outside of the house. So she's really nervous. She and the boys are home and she doesn't know what's going on. And Chris is pretty laid back about it. You know, hey, Joyce gets threatening letters like this all the time. And, and people, you know, try to threaten her a lot. Like, I'm really not too concerned, you know, kind of how he felt about it. The first letter that showed up in their mailbox just said, fuck you, deny your God publicly or else no more opportunities. Time is running out for you and your family. Have a good time in India, (laughs) motherfucker. Oh, man. So obviously they knew, just as they said, they knew Chris's schedule. But it wouldn't have been hard to find that information. You know, if Joyce had booked tours to go places, they would know with Chris being her head of security and her head bodyguard that he was going to be there with her. Mm -hmm. so like I said that letter was received in January 2009 and then no more letters for quite a while everything remained quiet until April 27th of 2009 Chris comes home from one of his trips with Joyce Myers Ministries and he found another letter and this one says basically for Chris to stop traveling stop carrying on with his fake religious life and stop stealing people's money it tells him your worst nightmare is about Uh to happen So Chris decides that he's going to go ahead and put up a security system in his house. And it's a brand new system. Um, It wasn't difficult for him to put up. He understood how that stuff worked. He works on it at Joyce Myers ministry. So um, he puts up a security system and they, um, they actually had footage of the man (laughs) dropping off one of these letters. So, and they know it's a man. I can definitely tell it's a man. He and Sherry, they watched the security footage and neither one of them could tell who this person was. Um, And unfortunately, because it was a relatively new security system that Chris had put up, there was no way to download the footage and the camera would continue to record You couldn't, you couldn't save the footage. It just continued to record. And then old footage was replaced with new footage. And there was only so much memory the camera could hold. So like I said, they both saw it. Neither one of them recognized this person. And again, Chris just really wasn't that worried. He just really felt like somebody was just trying to scare him into backing down. I mean, nobody, nobody in the Joyce Myers ministry seemed to be too overly concerned But to appease his wife, Chris actually happened to live on the same street as a retired detective sergeant named Mr. Barlow. And he went and spoke with him. And Mr. Barlow started keeping an eye out as well. Um, Ever since that first letter in January, he'd kind of been keeping an eye out. And then he even went so far as to borrow equipment from the state police to put up outside of his own home and face the camera at Chris Coleman's house to try and catch Mm -hmm. that letter writer. Now, he didn't do that until after the second letter was received. So he put his camera up on April 28th, which was the day after that second letter. And between the Coleman family and Mr. Barlow, they felt certain they're going to catch this man. They're going to figure out who this person is. The cameras rolled for a few weeks. Nothing notable was seen. There were other neighbors walking by, cars driving up and down the street. On May fourth, the neighbor's camera actually even caught Chris playing catch in the yard with his two boys. But there just wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Now that same night of May fourth, Garrett, their eleven-year-old son, um, he was supposed to go to a friend's house to spend the night. But Sherry and Chris decided, no, you know what? Things are just—they're just weird. Like we just don't want you going anywhere. Why don't you go ahead and stay home tonight? But we promise we'll have one of your friends over next Saturday, and and we'll you know we'll do a sleepover for you then. So that night, <clears throat> they all go to sleep in their bedrooms, just like any other night. Chris wakes up on May 5th to go to the gym. He leaves the house around 545 in the morning. And when he's down at the gym, he calls Sherry to wake her up, which was always part of their normal routine. He would call her when he got down with go the gym. He's still got to take a shower. He's still got to get himself ready and head home. But he would call her and wake her up. And then she would get the boys up and kind of get the mm-hmm. household going. so he calls and he calls and he calls, but there's no answer. And by 640, Sherry still hasn't answered him, hasn't called him back. And Chris, who, like I said, remained pretty calm about all of this. Like now he's kind of starting to panic. Like those dark thoughts are starting to come into his head. Like the person that sent those emails and those letters, like he's seen a person on that camera. He knows there's somebody out there that knows where he lives. So, At 643, he calls his neighbor, um, the the retired detective, Mr. Barlow, and he says, hey, you know what, can you go and check on them? I'm really getting nervous. And he said, I'm only about five minutes away, like I'm rushing to get there, but I just have this gut feeling and and it's terrible. And I please go check. I just cannot wait until I get there. So Detective Barlow gets up, he gets dressed. He actually even radios for backup before he goes over to the house. And he was in front of their door by 651 with another officer. The moment the two men open the door, they're hit with an overwhelming smell of spray paint. Oh, snap. And as they walk in, they can see that the walls are covered in like Manson-esque scrawl in red mm-hmm. spray paint. So all over the walls are things like, fuck you, bitch, punished, fuck you. I'm always watching. And as the detective, Detective Barlow, climbs up the stairs to the second floor where all the bedrooms are, there's a message going up the stairway and it reads you have paid. Barlow goes into first Garrett's room. Remember Garrett was 11 years old and he finds him dead in his bed and both the little boy and his bed are completely covered in spray paint. He then runs to the next bedroom to find Gavin, who is nine, in the exact same manner, dead in his bed, covered Mm. in spray paint. Then he goes to Sherry and Chris's bedroom, where he also finds her dead. But her death, while the other two, the the little boys were in their beds covered up, it didn't look like much of a fight had gone on. Sherry's death was particularly violent. You could tell she put up quite a fight. She even had two black Mm. eyes. Uh, the manner in which all of the people in this house were killed was strangulation. Every single one of them, they, could, they had ligature marks around their necks. You could tell that they had all been strangled by hand. <clears throat> when Barlow hears Chris come in, and he can hear Chris downstairs saying, what's going on? What's happening? Well, he runs down the stairs and pushes Chris outside. And he had to tell him, you know, his friend, his neighbor... Your whole family has been murdered. Nobody's Mm -hmm. made it. And Chris just collapses on the ground in the front lawn in the fetal position, just begins sobbing. He doesn't say anything. He just lays in the fetal position and cries. And he stayed curled up for about 20 minutes there until the two detectives could finally get him up and take him to the police station to go ahead and do that formal interview. And he was not allowed in the house before he Mm -hmm. went for his interview. Meanwhile, back at the Coleman residence, crime scene investigators are removing computers, cell phones, anything at all they think might help them with their investigation. But before the CSI team even got there to remove all those items, Detective Barlow noticed some things that just kind of stood out to him. Things that he just registered could he, you know, had been on the job for all those years. He was retired, but he still thinks like a detective. And some things that he noticed were that the basement window was wide open. And then several other windows in the house were just unlocked, which seemed really odd, because if you'll remember, even though like Chris wasn't too concerned about all the threats, like Sherry had been terrified. And it it just seems odd that neither she nor even Chris would notice that Mm -hmm. all these windows are unlocked. Like there's a probability that maybe someone came through the basement and that's how they gained entrance into the home. But the other windows being unlocked, like it just didn't sit right with him. It just seemed like such a an odd thing for someone that's so scared, you know, to, to right. not check on those windows. Um, another thing that he found odd was when he told Chris that his family didn't make it. Chris didn't ask any questions. Like he just began sobbing. And most of the time, when people are hit with such like painful news, like they they're in disbelief. You know, you, that stuff you see in the movies, it's not all fake you know where people are like no that can't be true you're lying like there's just no way like usually yeah like usually when you hear something like that you wouldn't simply go into acceptance like even if you had been threatened with death like as horrible as it is like our minds just we we need to know the pieces you know we need to know more information we don't just say oh okay you just told me the worst news of my whole life i'm just going to accept it
0: Sorry, my computer's going um, over
1: here. <laughs> you know, when, my, okay. <laughs> um,
0: when one of my best friends who lives in Virginia, um, she didn't call me. It was a message. She sent me a message and told me that her mom had died. And I was like, stop fucking with me like that. You know? And, and, and I sent her <laughs> a message saying, that shit's not funny. Don't send me shit like that. And so I went to call her And when I called her, she picked up the phone and she was, she was just, uh, she couldn't even talk or whatever. But while I hear that she can't even console herself, I'm like, still like, stop fucking fucking with me. Stop pranking me. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. So I get what you're saying because I was like, I thought she was playing with me for real.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, that's just, again, like, you never know how you're going to react to grief. So it it wasn't something that made him automatically point fingers. It it just, again, was, like, another little piece to the puzzle of, like, that's just an odd way to react, to just instantly go into acceptance mode. Um, Another thing he kind of, to expand on that, like, he said uh, that he you know just lay there and cried till he was taken to the police station and it just seemed odd because he didn't want any information like he he knew somebody was threatening his family but he didn't want to know like the any of the question any of the the how the when the who like do you know anything is he still in there what did he do how did he get inside like he didn't want to know anything he just accepted it he just cried that was it and it just seemed very very odd to somebody who had been so proactive at trying to keep his family safe that he just was like you know it just seemed so weird um when chris was at the police station being questioned he asked for a blanket And the detectives found that odd because it was very, very warm in that room. It's a very tiny room. There were two detectives in there and Chris. And if you'll remember Chris being a bodyguard, he's a big guy. He's very in shape, he's very big, full of muscle. Like he just, it just seemed odd with how warm it was in that room that he would want a blanket. But again, he's in shock and they they got him a blanket. But they thought it was odd that the only part of his body he covered up were his forearms. (laughs) Nothing else, just wrapped the blanket up around his forearms. (laughs) (laughs) And that proved to be even more concerning later on when bruises and scratches appeared on his forearms and detectives believed them to be from a struggle. But when they questioned Chris about all these scratches, he stated that he got them from being on the roof and taking down Mm. a satellite dish the day before. Uh, Another piece of information that was damning for Chris is that by the time the bodies of his family members were, were found, rigor mortis had already set in, which according to one particular medical examiner that was interviewed would mean that they would have had to have been murdered between three AM and four AM. And if you remember from earlier, Chris left the house at five forty five AM to go right, to the gym. Right. And it might be possible for him to sleep through the murders of his two young sons because no, they were in a different room. No.
0: But- no. <laughs> <laughs> Just no <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, with how violent sherry's murder was, like there was no way he was gonna sleep through that I mean there there just there would be no way to sleep through it, and then also not notice she was dead because he said sh- he was asleep next to her, he got or up she was the, right there the
0: fucking pain um, like smells wake you up too.
1: Well, you know what? They, they were trying to say it could have been that this, this would also mean, if that were the case, that the killer or killers would have had to kill the, the family members and then sneak out, wait for Chris to leave and then sneak back in and spray paint. <laughs> you know, like, it just seemed very unlikely. Detectives interrogated Chris Coleman for six hours and they began to really doubt his story about what exactly had happened. Uh, They ask him, look, when you left the house this morning, was your wife alive? And Chris says, yeah. And then one of the detectives says, what would you say if I told you I didn't think she was? And Chris says, I would say I think she was. I mean, she was. She was laying right beside me. So they continue to push him and saying that, look, we know that you love your wife, but The time frame shows that she was dead long before you left the house. And Chris just keeps on saying she was laying right beside me. The detectives, they just keep pushing harder and harder, saying, look, we need to know the reason. We know your wife and kids weren't alive when you left. So we need you to tell us why they weren't alive. And Chris is adamant that they were. But the detectives, they just don't back down. So they ask him if he and his wife had had any problems. And Chris says, nothing that unusual. He says they had some problems with communication and that divorce had come up around December of 2008. And Chris even went to his boss, Joyce Myers, to talk about it and see how it might affect his job and what he could do about it. Because of you know the ministry's beliefs. I mean, they, they don't believe in divorce if you can avoid such a thing. And he was told that they needed to seek counseling. Don't counsel. get a divorce. <laughs> Become a murderer. Uh, <laughs> Just right. murder people. Don't get a divorce, though. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, don't worry. They tried to Yay! seek out counseling before
0: <laughs> Wow.
1: It's, <Yes! laughs> it's a two-step program. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. just, just <laughs> two steps not 12 like AA, just two so he says that after counseling they learned how to communicate and they were doing <laughs> awesome. i can tell oh <laughs> but the detectives press on asking chris if he or his wife had any affairs and at first chris says no that they were great but then Chris says, but I do have this one friend that I email with named Tara that you might want to talk to. And he says they're just friends and they talk all the time. And when the detectives ask if any of their conversations were inappropriate, Chris says, well, maybe some of them I wouldn't want my wife to see. But oh, I wouldn't okay. call it fair. <laughs> now, Tara lives in Florida. So the police in Illinois, where Chris lives and is being questioned, call the police in Florida and ask them, like, hey, could you go interview this girl for us? Tara opens up the door and the investigators think she's just going to tell them, like, oh, yeah, I know him. We've exchanged some texts or nothing huge. They don't really think they're going to get a lot of information from this girl. They're not expecting much. Tara tells investigators that she and Chris were romantically involved since November of 2008. And every time he traveled with Joyce Myers, he flew Tara out to whatever city he was in so they could be together. Mm -hmm. She said Chris told her that he was unhappy with Sherry and that every single night he sent her pictures to prove he was sleeping on the couch or in another room, that he never slept with his wife. Wow. And according to Tara, they exchanged promise rings, and they even had a date set for their own wedding. Tara gives her BlackBerry and her computer willingly over to police, and they were full of several hundred images of her and Chris that were at times extremely inappropriate Upon comparing those images to the ones that they also found on Chris's laptop and cell phone, they definitely matched up. He even had videos of them together in very compromising oh, positions.
0: <laughs> Look, you you ain't flying her out there for nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're we're just friends. She's just uh, a really good buddy of mine that wink, hangs out in my wink. hotel room. <laughs> God. <laughs> so after that six hours of interrogation with chris um he did end up giving a dna sample and a writing sample and then he was released investigators didn't believe his story but they did not have enough evidence to hold him at the time Uh, as the investigators begin to dive deeper into chris's computer they pull up deleted files and they find that Every single one of the emails from destroychris at gmail.com came from Chris's own computer. I knew
0: it. Sorry, <laughs> Saka. Of... He was dumb. He was dumb. And sloppy yeah. and dumb and just. <sighs> but he
1: like no. really thought this out too. Like, you know, he just did <laughs> Well, they also realized that this is why no one was ever seen dropping off letters in the Coleman's mailbox because the only person who ever retrieved them was Chris. And so again, like you'll remember that he and Sherry saw someone on the, the film, but it was never explained from anywhere that I can find. It was never explained. Now was it that Chris went out and drop these letters off and then had Sherry watch the tape with him, but he disguised himself enough that she didn't know it was him? Or did they never watch this video together and he just told Detective Barlow, his neighbor, what about- that they did? Like,
0: no... Like, handwritten? Or was it what, typed? What- or the writing on the letter was it handwritten was it typed was does he write with his normally with his right hand but he wrote this letter with his left like what, <laughs>
1: what how was the letter the, the letter was typed oh okay so yeah the letter was typed up so there was there was nothing to pin him to that but again like they can't ask sherry hey did you really see these videos with him or this video with him and see this person or was this something he made up you'll never we'll never know Um, another thing that they found on his computer was from November 4th of 2008 it was a writing like in like a word document that Chris did talking about how he was so happy that he met Tara and he was so happy with her and how they had exchanged promise rings just like Tara said they did he even went on to state how if they had a child of their own and it was a girl, they were wait, going wait, wait. to name her Zoe. Wait,
0: let's just pause for a second. Now just what oh. was the promise behind this ring? I promise to marry you after I am not married anymore. I promise to not my family. I promise what? A promise of what?
1: <laughs> well, Tara didn't claimed anyway and didn't know anything about any of the other stuff going on. She knew that he was unhappy with his wife but that's, that was it. There was, um, there was nothing linking Tara to any of this in any way at all. I mean, she was, a you know, a shitty human being for messing around with a married man, but that's as far as it went for her. Um, just nine days after he wrote that in his computer was when those threatening emails from destroy Chris at Gmail Mm. began showing up. So along with all of the info um, that they'd already gathered up, there was a text message from Sherry to a friend where she stated Chris wanted a divorce and had told her that she and the boys were standing in the way of his happiness in his job and sherry refused to leave she wanted to make her marriage work she didn't want to divorce that was against her beliefs like and she you know and she just wanted to keep her family together for I looked her kids. Up
0: pictures of them so i could see what they look like first of all chris has a really big head i mean that mm-hmm. dog swole up and <laughs> it is and it's like oddly <laughs> shaped and everything but they just look like the family that lived down the street you know? And it's so crazy because I when I was looking at Gavin and Garrett, the the sons, they look like some girl that I know. They look like her her sons, you know? Just so cute. And, but, you know, I one mm-hmm. of the pictures I did see, like, you know how you can look at somebody and a certain look that they have? You're like, ooh, that motherfucker's evil. There was one picture that I looked at him and I thought, ooh, he looks yep. fucking evil, you know? But for the most part, they just look like the family next door.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very uh it's it's very unnerving when you see it, right. because you know, like you wanna see like this right. monster, you know, you wanna see it. Well another thing, um let's see, uh let me get to Okay. Um so the um another thing that the detectives found out <laughs> was that Tara was oh, Sherry's old best friend <laughs> from high
0: school. It just keeps getting better okay. and better. <laughs>
1: what the hell (laughs) (laughs) so you might ask why Chris didn't just file for divorce like even though Sherry didn't want to divorce him he still could have filed for it it is possible that he could have convinced her you know to to go ahead and do that um, but if you remember, Chris works for an extremely strict evangelical Christian ministry that would frown heavily on divorce and Chris could run the risk of losing that cushy income. It is possible that they could find a way to fire him saying like, look, you know, you're not you're not living with our beliefs. This is very important to us. You know, so
0: I wonder that how they handled that, finding out he was a well. murderer. <laughs> wonder how that went over it just it doesn't make sense to me the way that some people's mind think it like it doesn't make sense at all like he was so worried about losing his Mm -hmm. his position of power his money all of this and he done by the woman that he worked with and and that whole community but let's murder my whole fucking family like what like yeah insane
1: well lastly the investigators were able to match that handwriting sample that chris gave them to the spray paint and scrawl in his home as well as a receipt for red spray paint from a few months prior when they first brought him in for that six hour interrogation they asked him if he had any spray paint around the house and chris said no and and even if i do it would be extremely old like i wouldn't even remember i ever bought it
0: Mm mm-hmm you don't got to remember. We got receipts, bitch. Right. <laughs>
1: um. One thing that I did read up about was, uh, even though they did match his handwriting to the um, spray paint, they they say that like there's a bunch of different um, opinions argued about that whether you can really use that uh, as proof. Like how how um willing they are to accept that as actual proof, and the fact that when you write flat on a surface versus when you write up in the air, your handwriting is going to change. It's going to be different with the way that you have to hold your hand and hold your wrist. So there was a little bit of like back and forth about that. But in the end, especially when you have malice
0: in your heart, (laughs) (laughs) look, when you got malice in your heart, that writing is totally different now. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: true. (laughs) Uh, Chris Coleman was charged with first-degree murder of his wife, Sherry, and 11-year-old son, Garrett, and 9-year-old son, Gavin. During his trial, something that prosecutors brought up was how Chris texted Tara that he was giving his wife divorce papers on May 5th, that same day that she and their two sons were murdered. However, Chris never visited a lawyer and never had papers drawn up. Mm. Something interesting about the jury was during the trial that even though the jurors stated that they felt Chris definitely did it, they didn't feel like prosecutors proved it beyond a reasonable doubt. And they did a like a trial vote, and the first vote that they did was five to seven in favor of acquittal of Chris Coleman. What? (laughs) Oh
0: my god. What the hell were they smoking? Like there's no way. Well, well,
1: after, like after that, um, they, they went through the evidence again, and they came across a picture of Chris and Tara. And it was a picture they'd already seen, of course, but what made them stop was that the thumbnail had a timestamp on it. And it showed that the picture was taken on October 21st, 2008. And if you remember, Chris had stated that there, the affair with Tara was like at the end of November, like early December. Now, he was adamant about that timeline. Like he stuck to it. Absolutely no possible way was it any earlier than November or December. And the jury just that's what swayed them. They said if he could lie about such a simple, like trivial fact as that. Then he could lie about anything, and they voted again, and this time they unanimously found Chris Coleman guilty of first-degree murder, which is murder with intent, on May 5th of 2011, and that was, uh, that was brought down, it was actually two years to the day of his family being murdered, was when he was charged.
0: Did, they, did he get the death penalty?
1: Uh, he got life, um, life in prison.
0: Why? And, Why would he not get death for killing two innocent children and his wife? Are you? What the hell is wrong with this justice system?
1: That's not you know justice. I, I didn't actually go. You know what? I wish I had, but I didn't actually go far enough to read. It might be the um, the state. It, I I can't remember if uh, if Illinois is a death oh, penalty state or not. Yeah. Um, or or I should say was at that time because I don't I don't know. So I'm I'm not sure. Um. He actually has appealed his case. He stated that he had ineffective counsel, and he stated that for four reasons. He said, one, the date stamp on that picture was never brought into evidence, and that means that technically the jury can't use it as evidence to convict him. So unless his defense team had a chance to refute it, like, they never should have been able to say, well, this is how he came to this conclusion. Like That shouldn't have been allowed. Um, Number two was that his lawyer failed to bring up the fact that the CEO of Joyce Myers Ministries is is divorced. So why would Chris kill his whole family (laughs) instead of simply divorcing Sherry? Right. Number three was at the end of the day, after his family was murdered, Chris Coleman did resign from Joyce Myers Ministries. And that was never brought up in court. And uh, the fourth. Oh, go ahead.
0: I saw somewhere that that girl Tara was a stripper
1: what it what
0: that girl tara was a stripper oh
1: was she did you see did you find that yeah i
0: saw somewhere that she was a stripper and i was like oh that's why he was so jaded she must have really put him on it when she was on that pole (laughs) yeah she was a a stripper i think they said florida right that's where she lived florida right
1: yeah
0: yeah that's where she lived oh and they also said that on the um the day of the funeral that he was sending messages to her telling her how much he loved her and how much he missed her.
1: Damn. See, I I didn't find any of that. Um, The fourth reason that he uh, said that he got ineffective, he had ineffective counsel was his lawyer failed to introduce unknown fingerprints and shoe prints into the evidence. Remember how the basement window was left open? Well, according to Chris, there were fingerprints and a partial palm print on the outside didn't match his prints and there were unknown shoe prints that didn't match any of the shoes that he ended up giving over to uh the police now anybody could argue okay well you just didn't give them the shoes that you used and who knows when that 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 basement window when was the last time that was cleaned? you know what if you had somebody over what if the kids had friends playing and they were outside i mean who knows what that could have been um as of april 16th 2019 a judge did grant Chris Coleman a new evidentiary hearing. And as of October 11th, 2019, Chris Coleman requested approval from a judge to represent himself as he's formally complained numerous times about inadequate counsel. And that's all I can find so far. He's not had his new evidentiary hearing.
0: It yet. only makes sense that somebody who is obviously ego driven, he's got this position of power. He makes this money you know, let me, you know, have streps, uh, sex with the stripper. Let me kill my family so I can have what I want. And then in the end, I need to make sure that I represent myself because all these motherfuckers are shitty. Like, <laughs> let me tell the lie the best. <laughs> wow.
1: Yep, that's that's exactly right. Exactly right. So that, um, yeah, that was my, that was my story of, uh, of Chris Coleman. And like I said, if anybody wanted to hear any more information on it, um, crime junkies podcast did a really good job and I didn't get to listen to all of the court junkies podcast, which would give a little bit more information about the actual court hearing itself. I figured if I tried to cover that as well, we would have been on here for two hours. Oh, trying right. To get that, right. Information.
0: <laughs> that was an interesting story. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. Yep.
1: So, all right. That's it. That's all I got.